inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, Rich and I have come home from a fabulous trip to Fort Worth, Texas. We were there for the National Cutting Horse Futurity, and there's not much we like better doing than watching top-level horses with top-level riders in, in cutting, which is a super fun sport to watch. Uh, also, we were able to visit with a lot of different friends. We had dinner every night with different friends. Um, we stayed right downtown in the historic stockyards, which if any of you have been to Fort Worth recently, let's say in the past few years, there's been an incredible amount of uh, beautiful development down in the stockyards, amazing shops from King Ranch and area and Casey, all kinds of Western clothing, lifestyle, equipment, apparel. And then twice a day, every day of the year, they drive a herd of longhorn steers right through the few blocks of the downtown stockyard area. And it is so much fun to watch. These are huge longhorns with racks 10 feet wide. And there's about 13, 14 of them. And this is a program that is managed by some real good friends of mine, Kristen and Marty. And they, along with about a dozen riders and horses, they they manage this herd twice a day, every day through through the downtown with tourists lining each side, balloons and strollers and and the like. And uh, I had a fun time actually doing an impromptu clinic with uh, the drovers and their horses. They, you know, every day there's new challenges when they do these drives downtown with the Longhorn from from construction and road blockage, which, you know, the Longhorns don't necessarily subscribe to the little, uh, you know, stick blockades in the way of their path. They don't read road closure signs. So that can be a challenge. And then drones flying at you, drones crashing in front of you, people stepping in front of, uh, you know, a 1,500-pound longhorn steer just to get a picture or something. You never know what's going to come through there. And these horses have to deal with all of that. And so we did a fun de-spooking clinic and, and worked on managing the horses in, in times that uh, were frightening to the horses. So that was fun. Uh, we just, you know, the whole weekend, we did what we love to do. We did some shopping. I bought some new riding boots. It was good fun, good friends, uh, good food and drink. Um, also, bonus, I got to pay a visit to Pepperoni, my uh, my young uh, horse that lives down there in the Dallas area with my friend Nancy now. Um, when I sold the horse, it was with full visitation rides. So that was fun to do. And, and that was great. We also spent a week in Florida visiting with my family, walking on the beach, soaking up some warm air, um, which turned out to be fortuitous because coming home, uh, we, of course, jumped right into the big giant bomb cyclone right uh, on the first few days of winter and sub-zero temperatures and 40, 50 mile an hour winds. It was blowing snow. It was pretty crazy few few days, uh, kind of a sharp slap in the face, winter coming in. So now I'm hunkered down at home for a while. I'm uh, definitely relegated to riding my horse indoors, thankful to have an indoor arena, which is warm and toasty. And I'm spending a lot of time at my desk planning all my adventures for next year. I was super excited and, and very honored that this very podcast you're listening to received the 2022 Equus Film and Arts Festival Winnie Award for my episode called Reading Horses, Interpreting Emotional and Communicative Behavior. That episode, by the way, first aired in September 2021. So if you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to check it out. I've just released my 2023 travel schedule. I'm super excited about all the adventures I'm going on next year. 
I've got a full slate of clinics, horse expos, riding retreats, and vacations with multiple events in Colorado. Plus, I'll be in Iowa, Ohio, Massachusetts, Texas, and yes, I'm going back to Ireland in 2023. For details on my event schedule, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter while you're there at juliegoodnight.com slash news and get the latest updates from me. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Check out my online training resources, memberships, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, find TAC bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's podcast topic is horse goals or bust. You know, I love New Year's and everything it represents from ushering out the old to bringing in the new. Uh, I'm actually not much of a New Year's Eve partier. I'll probably be in bed by 830. But I am at a stage of life where each and every year is precious to me and making the most of my life takes on and even greater significance. You know, I've actually always been very serious about planning my time and making New Year's resolutions. I'm a little bit of a list maker in that way. This year, in my goal setting process, I'm going to bring you along with me. Next month, we're starting a brand new nine-month roadmap to help riders everywhere achieve, accomplish, and soar in their horsemanship. We call it horse goals or bust. I'll help you set meaningful horsemanship goals. We'll assess both you and your horse and come up with some realistic training and conditioning plans. I'll guide you through the planning and logistics, and I'll help you stay on track to make sure you achieve your accomplishments by next fall. In this episode of my podcast, I want to talk to you about making some big dreams scheming hard, imagining your best horse life. I'm going to guide you through some reflections on the year behind us and how we're going to envision an amazing future. We'll work on crafting some meaningful goals, and those goals are going to fuel your plan of action. Plus, in the What the Hey segment at the end of this show, I'll answer questions from listeners about a green rider on a green horse, always an interesting combination. We'll talk about a bolting Mustang and a standard bred who's a bit oversensitive to touch. Accomplishments and achievements always start with a dream or a vision, but they only become real when you set goals, develop a workable plan, and then commit yourself to action. Obviously, we're talking about horses here. (laughs) That's my wheelhouse. But in reality, This process and mindset could apply to any endeavor in your life, from losing weight to saving money to eating healthier. Maybe you have a business goal or a professional goal in mind. Whether your goals are big or small doesn't really matter. It could be to win a national championship with your horse or maybe to enter just one class at a local horse show. It's about stretching your comfort zone, setting goals, developing plans, and committing to action in order to turn your dreams into reality. But before you set goals, you really need to imagine your best life. Goals require some forethought. You'll need some inspiration, an imagination, vision, motivation, determination. And these are the things I want to talk to you about today. And here's what I want from you, the listener, using the info I talk about in this podcast. I want you to brainstorm about your goals and then put pen to paper, unless you're driving right now, in which case you should definitely keep both hands on the wheel. I hope my sister's listening to that. I'd like for you to message me with your questions, comments, and a rough idea of your goals. And I'd like to pick a few real situations from our listeners, and share them on the podcast next month. There's an outline in the show notes for this episode highlighting all the info on goal setting that I'm about to talk about. 
And that will guide you in your brainstorming session and help you formulate your own personal vision. Now let's get started. Step one, we need to reflect on the year behind us. This is a constructive assessment about the year that's behind us and what we accomplished. This time of year, I think it's important to take the time to pause and reflect. Allow your mind, your body, and your emotions to settle. Then take a deep breath and reflect on your horse activities for the year that's coming to a close. You know, I keep a 12-month printed calendar on my desk all the time. I've got two, one for the year that's closing and one for the year that's ahead of me. They're marked up with several different highlighter colors, uh, showing all my planned trips, business trips, recreational trips, and the like, all my trips for the year on one piece of paper. It really helps me visualize and quantify my time. And I think it's important to look at the time I've already spent <laughs> and see how I spent it and, and kind of tally that up. So in reflection, how did you spend your horse life this year? Here's the first question I want you to ask yourself. What progress did you make with your horse? You know, get out a piece of scratch paper and make a list. But make a list of everything you did. You know, I got my horse alone in the trailer. I got a, I, you know, went on a trail ride with friends or whatever. Everything you did with your horse in the past year, you know, not every five minutes you spent with him, but everything that you think was an accomplishment, whether it's finally getting your horse to canter around the arena on the correct lead or going to a national horse show, doesn't matter. Just make a list. When you make that list and you look back over the whole year, you may be surprised at all the stuff you did accomplish. So make that list for me. That's going to be the first question. And then the next question you want to ask yourself is, what progress did you make in your personal horsemanship? And we could be talking about skills, individual mechanical skills. I learned to stop without pulling on the reins. I learned to turn my horse without pulling on the reins. I learned to sustain the canter, collect the canter, uh, cross a creek, whatever. What actual skills did you accomplish in your personal horsemanship, not so much the horse? And how did your confidence level change? Have you experienced an increase in confidence or a decrease in confidence? And, you know, of course, if it's an increase in confidence, pat yourself on the back and reflect upon the journey it took to get there, the time and commitment and thought you had to put into getting there. If you've experienced a decrease in confidence, well, it's important to think about why that is too. And let's figure out a way to reset our goals and our program and process for next year in a manner that builds confidence for you and your horse as well. You know, all the time at Horse Expos, people come, this has happened for years, people come up to me and say, I, I want to ask you a question about this horse. I'm having a terrible, terrible time with this horse for whatever reason. Maybe it's a rounded up Mustang that's never been handled before. Or maybe it's a horse that's had bad experiences or it's just an emotionally volatile horse. And then they'll start saying, oh, when I first got this horse, I couldn't touch it. And before they get to the question, they'll start explaining uh, that they, they did this and this and this and this and this. And then you fast forward to today and that horse that they first described to me no longer exists anymore because you, you actually have made a lot of progress with that horse in the last months, you know, six months or a year. But they're presenting the horse to me as if it's still some kind of terrible problem. And I always point that out and turn it right back around at them and say, listen to what you just told me. You told me you started out in this terrible situation and you've come all this way and made all this progress to where you are now. I don't think that's a problem. I think whatever you're doing is working. So you should keep doing that. And, you know, I suppose sometimes validation is just as important as learning something new. But what I'm trying to encourage you to do now is actually sit down and reflect back and think of those accomplishments and what you've done in your personal horsemanship. How have you grown? If you honestly don't think you've grown, if you haven't learned any new skills or, you know, gotten any better in your balance or your position or your seat or your ability to cue, then we need to consider how we can change that for next year. 
The next thing I want you to ask yourself is how much time were you actually able to devote to this endeavor in the last 12 months? Here's where you bring that calendar out again and look at it and say, oh, well, this whole time I was out of town, so I didn't ride at all. Then I rode, I rode really heavy, probably three, four days a week during that time, so on and so forth, and actually add up the days. And I require my interactive students to do this in the beginning of, of their enrollment, and it drives them crazy. And uh, sometimes I have to gently persuade them that it is a worthwhile endeavor. Add up the number of days you spent. It will inform you about how many you can or will or should or shouldn't expect to spend next year. So we need to be able to have goals that are within a realistic time frame that you can set for yourself. And then that, of course, begs the next question is, well, what do you want to do more of and what do you want to do less of? This is one of the first things that as I'm laying my two years of calendars out and I'm looking at 2022 in reflection and I've got 2023 on the right, I'm looking forward and planning what do I want to do more of and what do I want to do less of? Some, you know, I obviously have work obligations. I have to make sure I fill those in first. And then I start thinking, okay, where's my extra time and how am I going to spend it? So it's really important in that process to have already thought out, what do I want to do more of? What do I want to do less of? And this, the pandemic has taught me this because For a long period of time, I didn't have a choice about what I did more of or less of. I just did whatever I could do um, within the parameters of a pandemic. And now that I had that little forced um, step off the hamster wheel, I'm a little pickier about how I spend my time. So this is an important question. It it should be an easy one to answer. For me, um, I want to be able to travel with Rich to his versatility events more, and I want to spend less time in Zoom meetings. Those are my two big things that come to mind right now in terms of what I want to do less or more of next year. And finally, upon reflection of the year behind us, is there anything that you wish you had done but didn't do? So at the beginning of the year, maybe you had big plans to go to a whole bunch of horse shows. And then um, next thing you know, real life has happened and the year is over and you only went to one show, (laughs) the very first one or something like that. There are so many things outside your control that big, huge goals can't always be met because of things outside your control. What if right after the first horse show, your horse went lame and you spent the whole rest of the time and thousands of dollars rehabbing him You didn't get to go to those horse shows. Does that mean the year was a failure? No, you got your horse back um, and he's sound. He's ready for the next year. So think about what you wish you had done but didn't get to this year. And that might, uh, either you might say to yourself, you know, I guess that wasn't really as important as I thought it was. Or you'll say, you know what, I'm gonna put that higher on the priority list and make sure I get that done next year. For me, I wish I had taken more trips with the horses in our living quarters trailers. I I love doing that, whether going camping or to a clinic and horse show or to see Lazy U. I just think it's fun and I want to do more of that. I did, um, because of circumstances beyond my control, I did almost zero fishing this past year and I love to fish. Uh, so I want to do more of that next year. I also want to do more mountain biking. So these are some of the things I've thought through, and um, these are the things that I want you to think through upon reflection. By now, you should have a pretty good idea of how much you've accomplished this year and also how much time you were able to devote to your passion. Also, maybe you've thought a little bit about what's important to you and what activities are realistic for you to consider next year. But it's time to put this year behind us and move on to the next step. Step two, have a solid vision. And by that, I mean, picture yourself here. You know, some people are chasing their dreams, but for me, dreams are elusive and I rarely remember them. (laughs) For me, having a clear vision, a realistic picture 
works a lot better than an elusive dream. But whether you want to think in terms of dreams or visions, that's what we need to talk about now. I started my meager horse training business 37 years ago. And at the time, I was training horses, boarding horses, giving lessons, taking out trail rides. And every year back then, and every year since, at this time of year, I'm closing out the year, closing out the books, filing the taxes, doing all that kind of stuff. I've always imagined and envisioned exactly where I wanted to be this time next year, and usually for a few years beyond that. It was for no one's eyes but my own. So my visions were my own and what I wanted them to be. They were always ambitious, but they were always attainable. I never envisioned making millions of dollars or winning the Olympics. My visions were simply where I'd like to be in business this time next year. You know, looking back at it now, there are many, many things I never would have imagined in my wildest dreams that I've done in my career that I couldn't have imagined in the beginning, like the TV show or social media. I mean, there wasn't even such a thing as the internet back then. And um, no horse trainers were on TV. Those weren't even parts of my imagination. But by the time these opportunities opened up to me, I had seen them very clearly a few years in advance. So just sitting down and thinking about where I wanted to be next year. And then with a clear vision in my head, I was always able to make it happen. Lucky for me, my business and professional goals intersect nicely because I have basically turned my passion into my profession. So I love horses. I love riding horses. I love the sport and everything about it, the people And I've been really fortunate to be able to make a living. Now, that comes with its own complications, of course, when you turn your passion into a business. But it's fulfilled a lot of my personal dreams and ambitions because I've always wanted to live my life to be outdoors in nature, doing active outdoor sports that I love. It's been, you know, one of the highest priorities for me in my entire adult life. I chose my career based on having a great work-life balance and living in great places where that, that's easy to do. So balancing out your time is important. And I wanted to share with you um, something that's really influenced the way I plan and have done this my entire career. And this has uh, happened about mm, probably 25 to 30 years ago. I met um, a woman who was then the New York State Equine Specialist out of Cornell University. Her name is Dr. Jeannie Griffiths. And uh, she, by the way, is the author of one of my favorite horse management books. The name of the book is simply Equine Science. And it's a relatively recent publication, so it's pretty, pretty updated. But I met my friend Jeannie. We were all a part of the American Youth Horse Council, and we would come together once a year and brainstorm on helping youth in the horse industry. And she, when I first began traveling for business and doing clinics and and whatnot, she lectured me hard about using red ink in my calendar. And she said, use at the end of every year or when you're planning for the next year, the first thing you do is you get out your red pen and you scratch through all the time that you're going to take for yourself personally. And then you build your business schedule on top of that. And every year I would see Jeannie and she would say to me, you know, because there was a time when I was pounding the pavement, I was traveling 30 weeks or more a year And every year I would run into her multiple places. And every time she would say to me, did you get the red ink out? And I would say, yes, ma'am, I did, because I did it the very first year. And I recognized the value of that. And and I've always done it. I keep the same red ink on my calendar every year, so it's not hard to do. Um, I live in the beautiful mountains of Colorado, and my husband was in the ski business, so Summer was our time. It was beautiful here and he could take time off. So I've always blocked off time in the summer for myself Um, and then time throughout the year. And 
So I encourage you to think about your time management. And if planning time for your horse endeavors is really important to you, get out the red ink. Um, Jeannie will be so happy to know. And mark off that time in your calendar. Now, life happens. You can't, everything doesn't always go according to plan. But start with a plan and it's more likely to happen. So while you're brainstorming about your future aspirations, I want you to ask yourself these questions. First, when are you at your best? When are you most energized? We could be talking about the time of day or the time of year. We could be talking about certain activities that you do. You know, just the other day, I had occasion to be the one to have to clean the stalls. It's probably the first time that's happened in about a year. And it reminded me, you know, I actually kind of like cleaning. There's only two of them and they're not hard to clean. And it reminded me, I I really do like being out there in the barn and raking and picking up and doing all that kind of stuff. And it does, it does bring me energy. I sit in front of a computer all day and I start getting slumpy and tired. You know, maybe I need to get up and, and run out there and um, run around the barn a little bit. So what energizes you? What time of day or time of year is your best? And what activities are you at your best? What do you love the most about horses? What do you love about the time you spend with your horses? Now, I want you to be specific. And I want to make sure it's what you love and not what someone told you you should love or what the people around you love. And That might sound overly simplistic, but I can tell you from several decades of experience, a lot of people are doing things with horses because that's what the people around them do, that's what they've been told to love, and that's what everyone else loves. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's your passion. So one time I was doing a clinic in, um, I think it was Wisconsin or uh, Minnesota, somewhere up in there. And there was, it, was a, it was a clinic for building confidence. So it was for people who were struggling with fear issues, specifically related to riding horses. And this lady turned out to be a very high-level executive. She was in like a Fortune 100 kind of company. Her days at work were super high pressure and stressful. And she said... When, when she really reflected on what it was she loved most about horses, she said what she loved most, and, and this makes me want to cry every time I say it, and this happened probably 25 years ago. She said, what I love most is after a, a hard day at work, getting my horse out of his stall, walking him down the lane and, let, and just sit there and listen while he eats grass. And she said, when she did that, all the stress just melted away and she could be peaceful and content. And that's what she loved to do. She didn't like riding horses. And I said to her, why don't you just do that and count it a great day? Your horse will be happy for that. He gets plenty of turnout and exercise all day long. And, uh, you know, the truth is you have a horse for your own fulfillment. Do what fulfills you and do uh, what makes you whole. And um, the people around her were saying, you got to ride, you ride, ride. You got to get on that horse. You got to get on that horse. You shouldn't be afraid of that horse. And that was just creating pressure for her when the one thing she really needed the most was a release from pressure. And her horse was perfectly capable of giving her that. So when I say, what do you love most about horses or riding horses? I think you need to really do some introspection there and make sure it's something that's truly coming from you because what you're actually doing right now might not be what you love most. And you want to make sure those things coincide. The next question you want to ask yourself is, what are my hopes and aspirations? In my wildest dreams, what do I think I want to be able to accomplish with my horse? Do I want to, you know, I'd like to do a hundred mile endurance ride. That would be a super big deal. And I'm not saying that for myself because to me that would be punishment. But I have several friends who for years they had the goal of completing a hundred mile ride. What 
are your hopes and aspirations and the things that you would like to accomplish. And while we're going to talk in a minute about be sure to set realistic goals, you know, what, what you and your horse are actually capable of, you know, just, this is just between you yourself and you. So go ahead and dream big. Try to picture yourself in that place. Picture yourself here. Where's here? And jot down those hopes and aspirations. You can always go back and scratch through them and throw a a wad of the piece of paper and throw it away. But you might find some visions there that are actually helpful for the years ahead of you. Finally, before we leave this section of envisioning your goals and aspirations, there's two important philosophical questions to answer. The first is, what personal values guide you in this endeavor? What are the things that are super important to you in your own personal values that are important to carry through in this endeavor? Whether that is, you know, family time, the types of interactions that you have with people and horses is helping others a part of this mission. What personal values are important to you to bring to the table? And maybe, maybe there's nothing that's, you know, needs some crazy deep thought here, uh, but it's something that you always want to make sure any goals you set do not stretch your values at all that are in keeping with what makes you feel good about yourself. And then finally, and this is a big one, you're going to ask yourself, what is my purpose in this endeavor? Why am I doing this? And that may sound like a simple question, but it is absolutely not. It's one that will require a lot of introspection. And you want to, again, make sure that you answer this question honestly from yourself and not from what others think you should do. Not your spouse, not your children, not your friends, not your trainer, what is your purpose in being involved in this horse endeavor? And this is a really important thing because it will not only guide your goal setting, but it it will also give you confidence and courage at the times you need it to make a commitment to this achievement. So what I would like you to do is actually write down a personal purpose statement. My purpose in the horse endeavor blank is blank. Maybe you want to think about a professional purpose statement as well, uh, depending on your situation. Maybe you're retired, so that doesn't matter anymore. But uh, write a personal purpose statement and uh, one that is specific to horses as well. Why, Why are you doing this? So the answers to these questions should be foremost in your mind as you start planning your goals. Knowing where you're coming from is important what ideals you bring to the table. Those are important. And also thinking about what makes you happy. These will make the goals you set more meaningful and therefore more likely to happen. So now the serious work begins. Step three, formulating your goals. An ambition written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken down becomes a plan. A plan backed by action, will make your dreams reality. This is the essence of our nine-month roadmap, Horse Goals or Bust. I want to tell you a little story about my interactive coaching members. Now, these are people I interact with on a regular basis and help guide them in their horse experience. Um, Maybe they have a new horse. Maybe they've got a big goal. Maybe they're just trying to build more confidence and learn more about horses and riding. Everybody's kind of at a different level and pace. But one of the very first things you have to do in my program is fill out an extensive questionnaire, first about you and your personal journey with horses, how, how long you've been doing this, what kind of experience you have, you know, what kind of issues you're dealing with, uh, where you would like to improve. And then all of that about your horse, you know, how old is he? What's his history? What kind of training? What are you going to do with him? Do you have a competitive goals? Do you work with a trainer? It's a pretty extensive questionnaire. And the reason why it's the first thing you do is because it basically introduces yourself and your horse to me as if you were in the arena with me. 
is all the stuff I would be looking for or asking questions about if I were in the arena with you. So after all of that, I then ask you to state three horsemanship goals to work on in this upcoming year. And the answers are truly revealing. And usually by the time I've read all that, I have a really good idea of what the goals should be because where you've discussed this kind of problem, I have a pretty good idea. It's related to something else and you need to work on this and all that. That's what I do for a living. So it always surprises me when people write goals. First of all, people write extremely ambiguous statements like build more confidence. That is not a goal. That is a state of mind. And uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's, it's very difficult to hang your hat on that. Uh, it's a moving target. Or the goals they write down could have absolutely nothing to do with the actual issues that I just spent 20 minutes reading about on this form you filled out. So in most instances, I try to restate their goals in, in ways that make them definable and measurable and all those important things that goals should be. So to formulate meaningful goals that will fuel your action plan, you'll need to put some focus onto it. In particular, I want you to focus on these four important qualities of good goal setting. Number one, your goal needs to be definable. It needs to state something so clearly that anyone you say it to would fully understand what it meant. As I said a minute ago, have more confidence is not a goal. It's a state of mind. If your lack of confidence had to do with maybe cantering your horse, then perhaps a good goal will be to be able to canter my horse multiple times around the arena in control of its speed and direction and without breaking gait. That would be a really great goal. You can see how that would just lay out our action plan in front of us and help us start filling in all the small steps that we're going to take along the way to get there. So make sure your goal is stated in a way that's very clear, black and white. Anybody reading it or listening to it could understand exactly what it means. Make sure all the terms are definable. Secondly, a goal has to be measurable, has to be quantifiable. So for instance, maybe I have a goal to take three overnight camping trips with my horse before September 2023. That's a quantifiable goal. Maybe I got partway, a third of the way through my goal. Maybe I, you know, made 125% of my goal. I don't know. So it, it needs to be measurable and clear. And while we're talking about measuring goals and defining these goals, how important that is, let me also get a little bit into the weeds on different types of goals. What we're talking about right now are outcome goals, big, you know, sort of year in markers of where I want to be next year, the big picture. Always this is about metrics, about measuring. Did you accomplish it or not? Did you accomplish it halfway or none? Things have to be quantifiable in outcome goals. The ability to quantify is important. But outcome goals, big goals like this, are not always directly controllable by you. As I was talking about earlier, uh, outside influences can happen, such as uh, your horse goes lame after the first horse show. Okay, well, go, let's go to plan B because you're not going to the second horse show. So sometimes big outcome goals are not always completely controllable by you. Um, but they are um, a big picture, measurable event. Um, and the importance of outcome goals are that the big goals in the end are what allow us to step back and then build a, a staircase, a stepping stone plan um, that leads us to the outcome goals. And along the way, we are going to be accomplishing just dozens and dozens of smaller performance goals. And these are small steps or small accomplishments along the way that will get you there. These performance goals, by the way, are entirely controllable by you, but they may not be measurable. In other words, 
maybe you've determined that one of your really important goals at work is to make sure that you uh, bring a positive attitude to the office every single morning. And that might not be something that's entirely measurable. In other words, some mornings you might be peppier than others, um, but you'll know if you're doing it every morning because you'll say, remind yourself, I have this goal. Oh yeah, put a smile on my face. Hello, everybody. Call everybody by name, whatever the particular performance goal is. Um, So these are small steps, small accomplishments along the way. We're going to talk a lot about them over the coming months. That's going to be, in fact, the entire focus. Once we get these big outcome goals set um, and defined and and well stated, then we start putting together all the minutiae, all the tiny little steps, all small little performance goals along the way that are going to get us there. So the third of the four important qualities of um, setting goals is to be realistic about your goals. What is within your purview? What is within your resources? What is within your horse's capability? Um, So we want to make sure that we, just like in training horses, as far as I'm concerned anyway, whenever I'm training a horse to do something, I always want to set them up for success. I'm always hoping and praying he'll get the answer right the very first time. And I will do everything I can to set it up in his favor. I'll, you know, make sure it's at a point when he's listening. I'll make sure it's at a place in the arena where he's thinking about that thing. I'll turn him uh, towards where he wants to go the first time. So he's thinking about turning, you know, whatever it is to set him up for success, I will do. And we want to have that same realistic point of view with um, setting our own goals. Yes, we want them to be big or there wouldn't be a need for them, but don't set up goals that are impossible for you to attain because of, uh, you know, resources or um, capabilities or, or something like that. So be honest also about the amount of time and energy you have to put into this endeavor. As you look back at last year, And he said, wow, I only managed to actually ride my horse for 33 days last year. I'm realistically not going to have any more time than that next year. So what can I realistically accomplish given that much time commitment? So being realistic is important. And then fourth and finally, in terms of getting down to the hard work of writing these goals down, make sure these goals are attainable. You don't want to set goals that just cause nothing but frustration for you and your horse or for you and your life. Many of you may have become acquainted with my Facebook group called the Five Pound Challenge. It's been going on for years and we all kind of come in and out of it as needed accordingly. But I very specifically didn't want to call that lose a hundred pound challenge because Nobody would think of that as an attainable goal, but even if you had 100 pounds to lose, it's probably pretty attainable to lose five. And so the whole concept of the five-pound challenge, when we started it, um, my friends and I, um, years ago, and this very same thing today, the whole point is to set attainable goals and to celebrate your success and, um, you know, go out and uh, buy yourself a new pair of shoes or whatever. And um, so that's kind of been the concept of the five pound challenge. But make sure your goals are attainable. Set, set modest goals that just stretch you and grow you, but that you can achieve. Goals do not have to be huge. And, you know, many times with horses, we talk about slower is faster because that is so true. Uh, The more you take your time and are deliberate with horses, the better they learn. And keep in mind that no one else's opinion matters here. This is just an exercise you're doing, again, for you, yourself, and you. And you don't have to share it with anyone. Nobody else's opinion matters here. So think about all of these things that you want to be and what you can realistically accomplish. Stating your goals specifically with a clear definition, measurable outcomes, realistic and attainable. This is not going to be easy, but it's going to be very worthwhile. It is the framework on which you're going to build your entire year's plan on. So here's your homework. 
download the outline from the show notes and spend some time in reflection and introspection. That's, that's the hard work, the introspection. Then look at your accomplishments for the last year. Imagine your best self and your best horse life ahead of you. Dream big, but bring it back down to reality. Honestly, picture yourself here. Then properly state your goals so that you have a clear roadmap for success. Horse goals are bust. I'd love it if you'd share your goals with me. Just email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And if you're game to let me share your story on the podcast, you can remain anonymous if you want. But if you're game, I'll help you shape your plan and chart the path forward on the next episode of my podcast. Now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey? Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a question for What the Hey, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I haven't answered your question yet, I hope to get to it soon, or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast. Question number one comes from Cindy on Facebook Messenger. Hi, Julie. I love your posts and everything you do. I stopped riding and owning horses 24 years ago. I'm 66 now and leased a horse for a couple of months before I bought my heart horse, a four-year-old quarter horse. I'm taking lessons, and we are doing awesome with groundwork and arena work. My goal is to trail ride with him, but he is a beginner, and I'm a beginner again. He'd never been on the trails before, and he is so, so, so scared. I was thrown the other day because he bolted, so I have decided to take him to a professional trainer for three months. My question is, have you ever seen a positive outcome with two beginners together? Or am I dreaming? I love this horse so much and he wants to be with me all the time. Please let me know your thoughts. First of all, I'm glad to hear you sent the horse to a trainer. And I will be honest with you, as I read the question, I was smiling when I got to the part where you said you found your hard horse after leasing a horse. And then when you said four-year-old, I literally cringed. This is a scenario I've seen play out again and again and again. Every horse trainer has, including with my own friends and people I know right here in my neighborhood. People think they can handle a young horse. Maybe they don't think of it as young, a let's say a four to six-year-old horse. Um, and people think they can handle a young horse because it appears to be very well-trained, and maybe it is. However, it can't be very well-experienced because it's not old enough. And um, there's a big difference between training and life experience. And also, when a horse that young has had a lot of training, they are used to being handled and ridden by highly skilled and assertive riders. Um, So appearances aren't usually what they actually are. And riding a, a young, green, inexperienced horse, even one that's had a lot of training, is just way harder than people know and than what they see in front of them until something happens. So is it possible for a green horse and a green rider to come together and be successful? Yes, it's possible. Is it easy? No. Is it safe? Probably not. Uh, There's a saying, old, old saying in horsemanship that says green plus green equals black and blue. You already know about that. I've talked to many people who are on the other side of this equation, having bought a horse that was too young for their ability level and gone through some rough patches and gotten professional help, and they come out just fine on the other end. And I have a feeling that, Cindy, that's what you're going to do. You've already sent the horse to a trainer. 
And when you get that horse back, by the way, he's going to seem, again, a lot more uh, experienced than he really is because he will have been ridden for three months by highly capable riders and getting worked hard every day. So one part of the equation that people don't get is that kind of exercise and regimen can really change the way a horse behaves and responds. And then when he is outside of that regimen and fully rested and getting away with a lot of small things that the rider doesn't even notice, things really can really fall apart fast. So you've already seen that problem. As I said, I'm glad you put the horse with a trainer. Um, By the way, last month's podcast was about what to expect from a professional horse trainer. So you might want to give that a listen if you haven't already. The the most important thing I want to mention here, though, because remember I told you this comes up all the time, and I just right now I could rattle off three or four different individuals I know who have had almost identical experiences with bolting and coming off a horse. They probably shouldn't have been riding out on the trail to begin with. And, and here's what's important. This was an avoidable mistake that ultimately caused a huge setback for this horse and for you. Fortunately, you did not get hurt, but that might not be the case for someone else, and it might not be the case next time. The important thing to focus on is what was avoidable about this. You said the horse was scared. You shouldn't have put him in this position to begin with, and you have to understand that bolting is the nature of horses, and the farther you take them from the herd, the more likely it is to occur. So in most of these stories that I hear about, um, the person was embarking on an endeavor they shouldn't have been. The, the horse is too green. Your skill level is not where it needs to be to manage a bolting horse. Bolting horses can be stopped. Problem can be resolved immediately. But instead, it turned into a, a dangerous ordeal that set the horse back in its training. And probably, I'm willing to guess, set you back in your confidence as well. So these are the very kinds of mistakes that we try to avoid by working with a professional. So before that horse went out on the trail and now before he goes out again, um, there needs to be some effort into teaching him how to manage his fear, building confidence in that horse, probably going to have to be some confidence building in the rider as well, Uh, and then making sure you establish effective control first before you head back out again. One reason why I think people are fooled on this kind of thing a lot is because people don't always understand that horses are location specific in what they learn and how they respond. They aren't going to act the same way out there as they did here in the confinements of the arena at home. That's a given. So amateur trainers often wrongly assume that because they have control of a horse in a confined and and controlled environment and a known place like the arena or the round pen, that that same level of control and response will happen somewhere else. And it won't until the horse has much more experience. That's why we like to put very experienced riders on green horses. So it's good that you went to a trainer. Bolting behavior tends to repeat itself, particularly when a rider comes off and all of that. If it happened a second time, it could really permanently impact a horse's training in a negative way. In other words, if the horse bolted and got away from the rider, this becomes ingrained behavior rapidly. So bolting is a very scary situation, even though it's normal for horses. Knowing how to avoid this situation to begin with and also knowing how to shut down a bolting horse quickly is something that's important and it's something that requires skill and experience. There's a lot of information about the emergency stopping rain in my library on my website. You can go search the pulley rain and find out more. By the way, as a 66-year-old novice, if you had come to me ahead of time and said, I'm thinking about buying a horse, what should I look for? I would have recommended looking at horses no younger than 10 years old. Older is fine, 10 to 15, go for it. You want something that is highly experienced and very set in his ways. 
Will you and your horse, Cindy, make it past this? Yes, I think you will. Absolutely. You're going to need that professional help probably for a few years to come. Advance that horse's training a little bit professionally every year. Enlist the help of a trainer. So anytime you have small problems, you get them sorted out. Um, You're going to need a hefty dose of courage and commitment and the good sense to avoid situations like that in the future. And then I think you and your horse are going to do just fine. Question number two comes from Kayla via Facebook Messenger. Hi, Julie. I really enjoy your podcasts and training videos. Thanks for making these available. I recently got a grade six or seven-year-old gelding. Two years ago, he was a feral stallion, and he has only been under saddle for about a year. I've been working on establishing a relationship with him, but we are still getting to know one another. He has a higher flight response than my other horse and is more dominant too. A few days ago, he bolted unexpectedly and I fell off. I remounted and continued to trail ride without any further incident. My question is, was this the right move? When you fall off, do you just get back on and go about your business? Or is there something corrective I should have done? I thought maybe the moment for correction had passed by the time I caught him, and I didn't want him to think I was correcting him for letting me catch him. Thanks in advance for your help. Yes, Kayla, you're exactly right. The moment for any kind of correction was long gone um, by the time you came back to your horse. And the right move was absolutely to take a deep breath, calmly get back on and ride proactively and as normally as possible. Unless, of course, either you or your horse were injured in that fall or either you or your horse were too emotionally wrought in that moment in order to continue. So you are exactly right. In this kind of situation, as with the previous question about the horse that bolted, There's no correction or punishment that would help. Remember, once three seconds go by, it's impossible for the horse to associate a correction or a reward with the behavior that just happened. So to break it down, when a horse bolts and the rider falls off and the horse runs until it stops, hopefully not all the way back to the barn, if you did something corrective when you got back to the horse, because of the time that elapsed, he would only be able to associate the correction with your approach. In his mind, it would have nothing to do with the bolting incident. So the moment for correction is long gone. The proper correction for the bolting horse would be to abruptly stop it, then make it turn and face what it was trying to get away from. There would never be any punishment or correction. It would just be stopping it and turning it back around. That's the correction. So the riding, the rider falling off when the horse bolted has the opposite effect and, in fact, reinforces the bolt because the horse got away from the rider, got away from what he was afraid of, and he found relief there. So the bolting, in turn, was actually rewarded in that incident, and the incident's over, and the damage is done, and it can't be undone. So that opportunity is gone. Hopefully nobody got hurt. So faced with this kind of situation where the damage to the horse's training is already done, I think the best thing you can do is to debrief the incident in your mind to figure out what went wrong and figure out how it could have been avoided so you don't do it again. What skills are you lacking that caused the horse to be able to get away from you and that caused you to lose your balance? So Both of you may need to retreat to some more basic training, or maybe you'll say to yourself, I have the ability. I could have stopped that horse. I was just caught off guard. Don't do that again. So take the horse back to the arena, work on the emergency stop, work on de-spooking, slowly build the comfort zone in the horse by taking him on known trails in good company. By that, I mean with other horses that he likes and that are very well behaved and very calm. And, you know, park him right in the middle of two horses like that. Um, Try to limit his options for bolting in every way that you can by taking him on known trails with horses he likes, close to home, um, all of that. And you build, build, build step by step to get past that. 
The flight response is the most defining characteristic of the horse. Obviously, a feral horse has a keener instinct and tends to be more reactive and more prone to bolting. But as you saw with the previous question, um, in the case of a, a domestically bred quarter horse, I, I think in that instance, too, it's still fairly predictable what a, a frightened horse is going to do when you take him away from home the first time. A really good thing to remember when you're training horses is this. What can go wrong will go wrong. And always plan for the worst case scenario. That's something my father taught me from a very young age, and it has never served me wrong. So if those two things are kept in mind, your safety will increase tremendously. Our final question today comes from Kristen via Facebook Messenger. I have an 18-year-old standard bred that has been with me for almost two years. He is well-behaved, except when he is being groomed. He stands well for his legs and hooves and neck, but pretty much anything on his barrel makes him squirm. He is being treated for hindgut ulcers. I am so torn between respecting his sensitivity about being groomed in this area and telling him to cut the crap and stand like a statue. Is it fair to tell him to toughen up and deal with it, or is it okay to minimize my time grooming this area? Kristen, given that your horse is currently being treated for ulcers, I think you have to err on the side of understanding that he may be quite sensitive anywhere in his barrel, and the closer you get to the flank, the worse it's going to be. Those kinds of reactions are very common in horses with ulcers, and in fact, sometimes it's the very first thing that alerts the owner to a problem. So whenever I'm evaluating a horse's behavior in order to understand the cause of the behavior, I try to look at how that one behavior fits in the overall picture of the horse's behavior. So what you describe overall is a mature horse that's very well-mannered. He's been groomed and handled all his life. He knows what to do. Um, he's very compliant in all other things. So if it's just this one area, I think we can pretty easily um, assume that's pain related. And given that you already know the horse has ulcers, that's pretty much a given. But often pain-induced, uh, quote-unquote, bad behavior, in other words, um, undesirable behaviors that have developed as a result of a horse having pain issues, um, these kinds of behaviors can easily become learned behavior later on. In other words, just because the horse did it that way at first in a reaction to pain does not also exclude him learning that when he acts a certain way, he gets away from what he doesn't want to do, or when he acts a certain way, he gets a release of pressure. So sometimes these things will become learned behavior, but I would give it some more time. Also, some horses are just so sensitive in the flank that we do have to touch very slowly, touch very lightly, maybe only use uh, really soft uh, natural hair, natural fiber bristles, uh, maybe even only use your hands. Um, hands on gloves makes a great finish glove that's a soft fleece on one side. Uh, I use a lot on horses' faces, but anywhere they're sensitive, um, it's a really good tool. So slow way down, use less pressure, um, and then just try to make sure when you are working on him and he's being reactive, that you stop and slow down, but do not retreat. Allow the horse to relax and stop the behavior before you back off and release the pressure. Um, that way you will prevent that learned behavior of, you know, when he twitches, you go away kind of thing. So hopefully the ulcer medicines will kick in soon and you'll see um, a drastic improvement and this thing will just go away. If the horse has drastically improved after, let's say, a month of, of the ulcer treatments and you still feel like he's, he's kind of conning you, well, you might want to make a few corrections at that point. But for now, uh, let's give him some space and uh, cut him some slack. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. 
I hope you're getting geared up for next year and that you're inspired to accomplish a goal that's important to you. And don't forget to send me your horsemanship goals for next month's episode. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, your suggestions, and your questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have a question for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners find the podcast. And don't forget to check out online memberships to my academy. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. I have a monthly or yearly library membership, which gives you access to hundreds of videos, full episodes, audios, and articles on the topics you want to know more about. Or you can get online coaching from me with my Interactive Academy membership. I'll help you assess where you and your horse are now so you can move forward with a structured 12-month training plan and personalized coaching from me every step of the way. You can also enroll in my Build Your Confidence with Horses short course. Just go to juliegoodnight.com slash join and start your ride. Join me again next month for another episode of Ride On with Julie Goodnight. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Mm